0: Truth in Texas Banking, I'm LaVonda Renfro. In today's show, we hope to inspire you to be a leader. You don't have to be a manager to be a leader. You can be a leader in your family, with your friends, on your team at work, or in your community. We've invited not just an expert with 10 years of experience in communications and engagement, but also a friend of Veritex. He's spoken to our leaders at the bank and shared his wisdom and passion for communication and how important communication is for everyone to succeed at their goals. I'm so excited to welcome Adam Tarnow, founder of Adam Tarnow & Company, a consulting firm focused on leadership development. He is the co-host, along with Clay Scroggins, of the How to Lead podcast. His first book, which he co-authored with David Morrison, is called The Edge, How to Stand Out by Showing You're All In, and it's released in September of 2022. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome to the show, Adam. So today on my show, I'm so excited to have someone I've worked with quite a bit and someone who I really respect in the business about communication. Adam Tarnow is with me today and I really want to talk. Listen, Adam's a great communicator and you're going to love hearing what he has to say, but I really wanted to get you to know Adam a little bit more. So Adam, welcome to the show
1: i'm excited to be here thanks lavanda
0: you're welcome and listen you're such a great communicator and i love the way you have always put a little bit of fun into the way you project everything out to us when we start to think about how we communicate but i want to know first a little bit about yourself tell me a little bit about adam and how adam became the great communicator
1: oh wow that (laughs) that bar is high lavanda i feel a little (laughs) bit sometimes jerry seinfeld used to go around and say i hate it when people introduce me as being funny (laughs) because <laughs> I feel like the bar is too high and I don't know like just introduce me as just Jerry and then I'll I'll surprise him <laughs> uh, with my humor. So anyway, I, I do appreciate that. Let's see, real quick, grew up in the DC area on the East Coast, went to Clemson University down in South Carolina, was an accounting major, started working in, with PricewaterhouseCoopers as a as an auditor yeah. in Atlanta, Georgia. That was probably where I started to understand just the role that communication plays in the life of a professional and ultimately the life of an organization moved out here to Dallas area in 2002 thought i'd be here just for a few years was moved out here to go to graduate school thought when graduate uh-huh. school was over i'd go back to atlanta or something like that and now it's been 20 years that i've been wow. out here so married two kids and dallas is home this is actually the longest i've ever lived anywhere and so, yeah, my career, about 10 years as an accountant, 10 years nonprofit, and then the last two years been doing some consulting, uh, started a leadership development consulting firm or a firm that focuses on leadership development as I started to see that over the years as a real need in a lot of organizations. And
0: yeah,
1: uh, so it's been fun, been doing that since 2020.
0: That's interesting. I, I love, I, I guess I didn't realize you were a, an accountant. So yeah. interesting when you say the dynamic between an accountant and a communication specialist, right? Yes. So, Tell me what happened during that purview of, okay, I'm an accountant and all that means to, hey, I see some things I like or I have a passion for that I think I can make a difference in. Or what drove you to say, look, I want to study more about communication than accounting?
1: Yeah, well, probably because I've just liked the soft skills stuff more than accounting. <laughs> also, <laughs> if I was better at some of that other stuff, it probably meant I was a very average accountant. And so this was the stuff that I was seeming to do a little bit better at. I think, you know, one of the stories that really thought about this, and and, and I love some of the questions that you all sent over to help me think through, just get be prepared a little bit for our conversation today, because right. you really prompted a question that I hadn't been asked before, which was how did you start to connect the dots that this was a big deal between the way a professional communicates and organizational culture and their own career progress? And I had never been asked that before and really thought about was there a story? And and come to find out, it it really, after thinking about it for about 30, 45 seconds, there was, there was a manager at the first place where I worked. And I, I won't name the manager, but it was at Price Waterhouse Cooper's. Uh-huh. And this particular manager, I was a staff and I had always heard this manager had a reputation and the reputation was that this manager was very difficult to work for. They were a little bit mean, a little snarky, a little direct, a little aggressive, and people didn't have a great experience when they were working for this manager. And so this was the reputation this manager had. And then I finally came around where I had to work with this gentleman and my personal experience with him was nothing like his reputation. It it was completely different. And uh, I I started to understand that when you just sat down and talked with this guy and asked some questions, smiled a little bit, he really opened up and he was a great teacher and one of the better managers that I worked for and, and was really soft hearted, not this mean person that his reputation was out there. And that was just as a, as a young professional was just this first experience to go, I just think he's got a communication issue. Like he's just not presenting himself in the way that truly is possibly, you know, where, what his intent was or what he was trying to do. And it was having an adverse impact on his career and his reputation. So that was probably one of the first stories where I started to realize that even in any industry, the way we present ourselves and the way we communicate really can go a long way in our reputation and our career. And then ultimately as an organization. And then as I just continued on an organizational life, you just start to realize, I mean, every organization struggles with communication. And so uh, those that, that can be a little bit better and yeah. just have that growth mindset, it can right. really go a long way.
0: Well, one of the things I've always loved when I when I get to listen to you and and, and listen to your podcast about, you know, really communication is, is kind of an overstated word, right? We use it a lot. How do we yeah. communicate? Yeah. Um, and we, we think that there's some big answer, right? And I love what you just said about your wasn't he when you worked with this person his intent wasn't coming across that's right He didn't yeah. have ill intent but for some reason it wasn't coming across that's right. you know, in the night so were you able to talk to him about that at all about how he was coming across and maybe his intent
1: no no that that's where i mean as a staff yeah I, this is where now that 20 years later i can look back and connect the dots in the moment right. i was just happy that he wasn't a jerk <laughs> It was like, oh, he's not that bad. And I'm learning a lot. And I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed working with yeah. him. And and uh, we'd go to lunch and chat and he became a friend, right? And a mentor. Yeah. So yeah, I think the hindsight of 2020, I can connect those dots a little bit more. But Lavanda, what you talked about there, I mean, if if somebody's going to turn off this podcast and they're going to be done, if I could leave them with one thing right now, like one of the biggest disconnects that I see a lot of. I'll say professionals, but you'll be able to connect this to your personal life as well, Mm -hmm. is this mismatch between what I intend to communicate and then what other people are perceiving. Right. This misrepresentation of our intent appears to be an issue that a lot of us struggle with. So we're either coming across too passive or too aggressive, neither of which is our intent. And so Mm -hmm. there's so many times i mean even this morning i was working with a leader and talking about the importance of making sure your intent is known when you're communicating and i feel like it's one of those phrases that i repeat almost on a weekly basis over and over again helping leaders understand do they know your intent do they know your intent and and it's really easy to try to declare that you just put little phrases you know at the beginning of what you're going to say so levanda if i was giving you some feedback on the podcast i'd be like levanda i love the podcast i really do my <laughs> intent is just to help make it better and so here's a couple of things that I want to say, or you guys are doing amazing. You're like a, a nine out of 10. If you want to go to a 10 out of 10, here's one little thing I think that may be able to help. So just putting a little intent statements at the beginning of what you say, uh, yeah. I'm not mad about this or I'm not frustrated. I really think you do great work. Can we, but here's a little bit of feedback, little things like that can go a long way.
0: I think that's really interesting because it's something we struggle with all the time. I and mean, listen, we're, we're a growing corporation. And sometimes when you have good growth and things that you're wanting to do, what you can do at a size of 100 people is so different than when yeah, you can do with 1,000 people, right? Because the dilution of the intent as it permeates through your organization. So those are things I want to talk about. But I think it's things about with family and with professionals as well. It gets diluted when it gets it doesn't come from the mouthpiece, right? So that's how right. do you permeate the communication or the intent down to others or through others till your intent is felt. And so I'd love to have some feedback just on that because I think it helps with family. But I know as a professional, as a leader in a company, I always worry about that. How is what I want to say and how I want things to be heard coming across because I'm not saying it to everyone from my mouth.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think a couple of ways in, in organizations, this is so, so difficult. I mean, a lot of the things that we can talk about when I talk about communication principles mm-hmm. are, are more one-to-one. I like to put communication in three categories, one-to-one, one-to-few, one-to-many. So you've got your one-on-one conversations, which is the lion's share of a leader or a professional's communication. One-to-few right. are like team meetings, things like that, um, or department meetings. And then you've got one-to-many, which would be lots of departments or the whole organization. Slightly different things that you need to do in each of those. If you're in a one-to-many setting, like as a uh, you as a senior leader at the bank trying to communicate something to everybody in the bank, mm-hmm. uh, one of the best ways to try to make sure your intent is getting across is just not forgetting the why, right? Just telling people why we're communicating this. Or if you're communicating a change that's gonna happen, Let's not forget to tell people the problem that we're solving (laughs) with this change. And and, And I think, you know, little things like that, that unintentionally, we just skip those steps by accident. And that leads to people not really understanding our intent. So why are we communicating this? Why is this out here? Why is this important? So just as leaders, if we can just remember to let people know why. Or the problem that we're solving that that can help with intent so that would be just some things on the front end more of the offensive things we can do and then the defensive things we can do is i i would just listen to the critics right uh, in yeah. some ways if those who are complaining or frustrated with our communication you can get some good info there and really That's try to understand point. what did you hear us say because we want to say it this way we want to come across with this heart what did you hear us say and, and I think there's a lot of times you can get some great insight back from, from folks there.
0: I love that you just said that because I think that's probably something we don't do as good a job at, right? Is really asking for, what did you hear when I said I my intent was this, but yep. you obviously didn't. What did I do wrong that you didn't hear what I intended, right? That's
1: exactly right. That's,
0: that's a really great point. I, I think as leaders in families and in, as, as leaders in work, sometimes we're so busy, you know, communicating out, we don't have our ears open to hear the communication as well. So I was talking with the leader the other day about something about, we need to listen to this. We need to listen to that. And I said, you know, I think listening is an overused word.
1: Mm-hmm. What I
0: think of is that we don't hear what people want. That's right. We listen, but we're not hearing it. And yep. so that's the part that I think we always work with. And one of the things you said a while ago, and I thought was really interesting is how intent comes across. So one of the things we like to work on here, constant work, not finished, constant right. journey, building trust. Because I think when people trust what you're saying, they hear your intent, able to give intent back. So how do you think about that, about building trust through communication?
1: Yeah, I, I think about it all the time and you're exactly right. And I like to just pull from Stephen Covey's Speed of Trust, his framework that he used there, that My when we say Yeah. And when we say we trust somebody, that trust, I thought what was so valuable to professionals there is that it is a mixture of character and competence. Mm -hmm. And if you're in a normal organization that has a like a hierarchy type structure, the higher you are up on the structure, the more people are gonna be they're gonna struggle to trust your character and specifically your integrity and your intent. So as a boss or a team leader communicating down to the team or others in the organization that's where they're going to struggle to trust you is does this leader have my best interest Uh, are they a person of integrity those are going to be the questions they're asking as they listen to us the other side which is conversation for another day but as you're a team member communicating up to your team leader the trust there is more around competency Uh, most bosses are wondering can i trust the competence of the person on my team. And then most team members are struggling to trust the the character of their team leader. And so I really liked Covey's structure there because I think that's incredibly helpful. So again, making sure that we're talking straight, we're not spinning, we're owning our mistakes when they happen, we're declaring our intent, we're letting people know that we really care uh, about them. And it can't be, you know, there's that principle with large communication as well that, a a general request to everyone is a specific request to no one <laughs> or a a general statement of i love everybody is a is not very specific to anybody so as team leaders it's great for us to say how much we care about people and how hard everybody's working but nobody feels that personally and so a lot of that trust is going to be built by the one on one one to few so uh, you or Malcolm can tell everybody, I love right. you. I, I, we're so grateful for the team here at Veritex. Great. You need to do that as leaders, but that can't be the only time people hear that from you. Yeah, when You see them one-on-one. You need to say, and you, this is specifically what you do. And you, this is what you do. All of those things really help people trust the intent. Uh, a little bit more in that one-to-many communication.
0: I love uh, the way you put that as a professional. That's great feedback. How does that work from a family perspective too? You know, family dynamics. I found with Stephen Covey's book for me personally helps my family dynamic uh, as well. So what are those same types of communication principles, the same in a family?
1: Absolutely. I mean, just an example from my own life right now, I've got a 13-year-old. He's on his first starter phone. Uh, We use this is just free advertising. We use the pinwheel system. It's an amazing system. It's this piece of software that runs on an Android phone. uh, And it allows my wife and I to monitor everything from our phones. Okay, so every text message, every phone call, very limited number of apps. It's a great starter phone. We really like it. We're having good success with it. Great. So he was at camp. Uh, recently met some friends and now they're communicating via text message. And I'm just out there. These are some new friends and I'm monitoring to say what are they talking about. And at one point, I saw there was a conversation of "Are your parents strict?" So a new friend was asking, "Are your parents strict?" And he said, a "Great yes. question." <laughs> it was, and he said, "Yeah, they were strict. Yeah, they're strict." And sometimes it's a little confusing. And so uh, he and I yesterday had some time in the car, and I was like, "Hey, great to see that you met some new friends at camp." And you know, you remember I'm reading all your text messages, and I heard that you said we're strict. And I was like, "So let's talk about that." So, um, do you think we're mean? And you know, we had some good conversation there. And I was like, "Well, if you if you think we're strict, I just want you to know why we're right. strict." And so, do you understand why? we have certain rules in a certain way because you could disagree with them, but at least I, I want you to understand our intent behind it. Yeah. And so, yeah. So I think that's a, that's a perfect example of where we were trying to in a family dynamic, even understanding that if my son doesn't trust me, right. it's typically going to be on the character side, not on the competency right. side. He knows dad knows how to you know, mow the grass and do things around the house. He doesn't struggle to trust my competence. It's usually my character. And so those are the things I need to work on with him.
0: I love that you said about the character, so I, I want to go on to something that you know it's one of the questions we want to ask you because. I do think you know what are ideal characteristics of a leader, you know mm-hmm. I think everyone looks at certain leaders how they view them in a certain way, but there are certain things that always draw leaders to the forefront. There's yep. characteristics in most good leaders, I guess, and probably not so good leaders, right? Yeah. So yeah. What, what are some characteristics that you look at for, I, for a, a good leader, someone who works on being a good leader as well?
1: That's right. Yeah. I mean, I can't come up with a better two characteristics than what uh, Jim Collins and his team came up with in the book, Good to Great, Mm-hmm. That was published in 01 and I read it in 04. So, I mean, this has some staying power, but he talked about the level five leader has an, uh, a deep personal humility and an intense professional will. Wow. So this humility and drive that when you have this, this mix of I'm humble, I'm, it's not about me, it's not about my ego, it's about the team. I'm not looking just to make my name great. Mm-hmm. but we are going to get this done. We are going to win. We are going to keep driving. We are going to keep growing. When you have that mix of, I care about you and I'm humble, but we are not going to take the foot off the gas. I, I mean, I, I can't come up with two better characteristics. I've read that, you know, 18 years ago. Yeah. I, have you, can you think of two better ones than that as far as like, Oh, I, I'm not I sure
0: I would have put in exactly those words, but when I think about someone that I look to and you know, him. um, that I say he's a good leader is humble, but man has his foot on the pedal. We're yeah. going to go get this, but it's not ever about, you know, about what he's doing. Right. Um, and I've met several like that, but that I, I'm not sure I would have characterized it of what that was. I'm not sure I could have put it in words, but that's the words.
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah. It really is. I mean, then there's some other sentences you can put on there. I think about my friend Duke Rivard who taught me that a leader is somebody who takes initiative for the benefit of others yeah you could fit that within that will and humility there that you're an initiative taker you put your foot on the gas you get things done you get results but uh you don't do that again to build your own name you take that initiative for the benefit of other people that's the humility is i want to see the other team i want to see the team win i want all of us to feel the joy of success and have the rewards of success, whether they be financial or uh, just in the reputation in the market or whatever it is. Uh, So I think those are two good characteristics, which I would then put communication Mm -hmm. as one of the ways you will prove your humility it's right. going to be in your communication style. And then obviously to get results, you've got to be able to communicate. Where are we going? Have clarity there. So communication is is deeply embedded in both of those characteristics. But uh, but those are those are two great ones that I think of there, that drive and that humility.
0: Thank you for saying that. That really kind of put it put in perspective for me just to say it again. It's yeah. been a while since we've talked about it. I guess you would say then the same advice to emerging leaders, people who are, you know, we have, I guess, People who may have our leaders or are seen as leaders today, and then there are people who are trying to emerge as leaders, right? Yeah, so yeah. Does the same skill set work for them?
1: Yeah, I think a little bit. You know, when I talk to emerging leaders, and uh, and I know we're going to reference this a little bit. That my buddy David Morrison and I, we wrote a book that's coming out in September called "The Edge: How to Stand Out by Showing You're All In." It's, right. It's a book for emerging leaders, and then those who lead emerging leaders. Uh, The couple of things that I say to emerging leaders is right now, the bar has never been lower to stand out. I mean, (laughs) if you look at employee engagement statistics out there, they're abysmal, right? Like uh, there are, the bar is very, very low. And so if you can do just a few things to show you are emotionally committed to your career and to a job, uh, you will stand out very, very fast. And so we, the EDGE is an acronym that stands for energy, diligence, growth, and endurance. The energy you bring, the diligence that you show towards your job, the growth that you want to have personally, and then endurance, that ability to bounce back from hardship. That if you can start to emulate those four characteristics early in your career, I think you're really going to start to take control of your career and you're really going to start to stand out. It really had a lot of fun. I actually just was able to share that with the interns at Veritex just a couple of weeks ago. And so it was a lot of fun to hang out with them and talk to some college students, college age students about how to develop that edge. But I think for right now, what I would say to emerging leaders is that's that. So the bar's never been lower and competence is the fastest way to build trust is to prove you are competent, meaning You do the job that you were asked to do, you do it with excellence, and you prove that you are a worthy financial services professional or you are great at doing this that is the fastest way you're going to build trust and build influence while at the same time starting to develop those basic communication skills along the way on learning right. how to communicate with clarity. But that's a way you'll prove competence. So I think for emerging leaders, yes, this is this is wildly important, but they're going to be more in the one-to-one setting on trying to yeah. get better at the one-to-one. They're not going to have many opportunities for the one-to-few and one-to-many. So they'll hopefully get there eventually. But, but right now, it's more about proving that competence in that one-to-one type of communication setting.
0: Do you think that, when uh, um, I heard you say, I know that you spoke to some of our interns that we have in our training development program, but one of the things that I've seen, just having a couple of college-age mm-hmm. kids myself, is that there's not a lot spent on competency, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a blog book, you take a test, you get this, that, but competency in the work and what that looks like. Do you think that's something that can be better done in some of our college classes and schools? Yeah, I,
1: I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure. But I don't, you know, I don't have a lot of control, nor do you over <laughs> over that curriculum. Why not? Setting, uh, over there. But yeah. I, maybe, maybe if the schools could do something, it would just be reminding them of the importance of competence early in your career. Yeah. So don't just expect... That because you have the degree, that that proves your competence. No, the degree just gives you an opportunity to prove that you are competent. You still have to go in and prove it. And it's going to take a couple of years, probably not a couple of weeks. Right. And so maybe just uh, developing a little bit more of that patient mindset would be some things that that um, universities and colleges could do to help help the workforce get a little bit more prepared for the yeah. uh, start of that journey.
0: I know that I had that talk with my kids quite a bit is that, you know, I think there's some sense of, oh, I'm going to work a couple of years. If I don't get promoted, then I'm going to, you know, go on to the next road and really helping them. With, listen, it it takes everyone a little bit of different time. And plus, there has to be opportunity uh, as well, right? Uh, So, really being patient. I think patience is probably overlooked sometimes uh, in leaders. As leaders, I think we have to be really patient with ourselves, but with the people we are leading down a path, right? So, I do want to ask you about something because a lot of times we talk about foot on the pedal, it's really going fast. Type A personalities and how they like to communicate. I know you love this part. And I do, too. because. Listen, everybody hears something different, right? But type A personalities, I, I don't want to just stay on A, but I'd like you to talk this a little bit about there are different types of people. Let's just talk about type A personalities, how they like to be communicated with.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, directly that, I mean, you don't have to pull punches with them. Oftentimes, I, I remember one type A, uh, one of the better bosses that I ever had, type A. And just, I mean, he really, the, the more like uh, direct I was in the feedback, the more cared for. He felt, which me not being a type a personality felt like I needed to be very diplomatic when I talked You know, right. to him and he was like, just tell me, just tell me what you thought about it. When I told it, he's like, thank you. That's what I needed. And so just learning their dials is so helpful, you know, and again, it's just, this is a matter of difference, not, not better or worse. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. If I'm coaching or helping to develop a, a type a personality I, I want to get them to understand the difference between aggressive and assertive, mm-hmm. because I think the Type A, at their best, is assertive. Uh, when it crosses the line a little bit, it can become very aggressive. Which again, we'll go back to, doesn't sound very humble. Sounds very, you know, focused on the professional will and that drive. Right. But doesn't doesn't come across as being very humble. That's going to woo a group of people and get them, get the team moving in the right direction. And so passivity and aggressiveness, I think, would be both sides of the spectrum where we would not want to be passive and we don't want to be overly aggressive. And so I think right there in the middle, you're assertive, which is clear, open to negotiation, but very Mm -hmm. clear about what you want. And it's a it's a gift, you know, to give people that that clarity that can come with assertiveness.
0: You think that comes that gift comes with trust, though? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, again, what Stephen Covey, if he was on here talking, what he would remind us of is the title of the book, The Speed of Trust. The more you trust people, faster things move, meaning you can be a little lazier and sloppier in some of your communication (laughs) if if there's high trust. I mean, you know how this, like my wife and I, I can say half a sentence and she kind of knows where I'm going. Right. Sometimes that's annoying. And we all know that that can be annoying in certain relationships. That's terribly efficient too, though, right? Like I don't even have to use all my words and she knows where I'm going. That's a high trust environment. And that's where we can get to professionally with certain people like that. And so, yeah, we can be uh, a little bit more direct and a little bit more aggressive with people that we have high trust with.
0: Well, I love that. Well, Adam, like I said, one of the things that I I love when I speak with you about is that you kind of always bring it back to, you know, a couple of the basics. And one of the things you just said is this, the humbleness, right? And I I don't want to forget that. I really don't, I kind of want to belabor that point because I do think assertiveness and words like passive and aggressive, they get lost in translation. We forget about the reason why we're supposed to do it. And that's being humble because we're leading others, right? Yeah. yeah. So I, I just want to kind of hit home with that one more time, if you don't mind. Yeah. can hear it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So that, I mean, that, that great characteristics of a, of a great leader, according to Jim Collins, that we can't find a better one that you have got this deep personal humility mixed with this intense professional will, uh, we want to get things done. And that humility is so vital, so important because listen, I, what I, I think of John Maxwell's quote that the person who thinks they lead, but they have no followers is merely out taking a walk. (laughs) <laughs> and so uh, one of the things, even if we're going back a little bit with the younger generation that I think is going to be very healthy for where leadership is going to be changing is I think for so long, leadership has been viewed as a reward for being great. And so huh. leaders have this feeling at times of I'm better, right? I'm, a, I'm the leader. I was rewarded for being great. Yeah. And what you and I both know is that leadership, it's not about being better, It's a responsibility. It's not necessarily a reward. It's a responsibility. It's a role to play on a team. And so it's not about us. Like, no great thing in life was ever accomplished by just one person, nothing great. Now, one person can bring a lot of chaos. Right. Uh, Just go open up the news and you can see what one person can do for a lot of chaos. But for order and great things and vision and bringing things forward, it's always been a team. It's always been a team and a leader gets to play a role on that team, but it's not just because of the leader. It's because of the team that did it. And I I like how some of that mindset is starting to shift a little bit. And and that that produces, I think, in in leaders, humility. I'm just playing my role. I'm just playing my role. It's about us as the team.
0: You know, it's funny because Malcolm always tells us, you know, when we start talking about something, he always reminds us which I've always loved after working with him for 20 years is too much is given much as expected. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so it is about, you know, we've been given as leaders a responsibility yep. uh, for the people we're leading. This is not about us. It's about, you know, how we're leading and if you get too arrogant in that mindset your good intentions go out the door, right? Yeah. So.
1: And then good people start leaving you and then the joy is gone. And right, I think right. any leader that's been leading for a while, and we could all sit around and tell these stories. If you, if we look back on our career, I think we're going to be more excited about what the team did than what we did individually, who yeah. we developed, who we helped. And so yeah. I think with that responsibility and playing that role, there really is a lot of joy and satisfaction and meaning that can come from that, which is, uh-huh. which is just kind of icing on the cake, honestly, because it's, a lot of hard work to be, to play that role and to to, to carry. Yeah. It's not for the faint
0: of heart sometimes, right?
1: (laughs) No, not at all. (laughs) So I want
0: to talk a little bit more about your podcast. It's called How to Lead. So tell me a little bit more about it.
1: Yeah. So Clay Scroggins and I, uh, he wrote, um, he wrote the book How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. And uh, that came out uh, a few years ago. And he's written a couple other books since then. We've been friends for almost 20 years and so we started that podcast that we wish we would have had when we started our career. And uh-huh. so one of the things that we see out there with a lot of leadership material is it's just kind of written by CEOs or big you know, people that were leading large organizations, which there's some great principles we can all learn from there. But uh, most of us spend our career in that middle management, early stages of team leadership. And we just felt like there were some things that would have been more helpful for us when we we're at that stage in our career. So that's what we do. We try to talk to emerging leaders about how to lead. It's the, the demographic would be first 10 years of your career. You feel like you're in that, that middle management or lower. Yeah. And hopefully we're going to be talking about topics that'll be very helpful for you. Or if you're, if you lead some of those people, we are also getting bosses tell us, Hey, you, you gave me some language in some ways that I could go lead my team better of middle managers and, and emerging leaders. And so thanks for that.
0: Yeah, I really think that's really key for some of us who've been in leadership positions for a while, but leading others that are emerging from that is a little different, right? And we can probably all use a little help just doing better and and improving that that area. So I'm really excited about being able to listen to your podcast on that and getting some good advice on it. Yeah, well, thanks. It'll be great. Well, good. Well, that's all I've got, Adam. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Listen, if you have a chance, listen to Adam's podcast. It's so awesome. You'll learn a lot and you'll have a little fun. He's really very funny as well, which makes it a really easy listen. So Adam, thanks for joining the show and thanks for being on today.
1: My pleasure. Thanks, Lavanda.
0: Thanks, Adam. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth in Texas Banking. If you would like to hear more from Adam Tarnow, you can catch his podcast, How to Lead, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. For more information on Adam's leadership training and consulting, visit adamtarnow.com. That's Adam, T-A-R-N-O-W.com.